Chapter Twenty Six of Marius the Epicurean, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marius the Epicurean, Volume Two, by Walter Pater. Chapter Twenty Six: The Martyrs. Ah, voila les amis qu'il faut à la mienne. Rousseau. The charm of its poetry, a poetry of the affections, wonderfully fresh in the midst of a threadbare world, would have led Marius, if nothing else had done so, again and again to Cecilia's house. He found a range of intellectual pleasures, altogether new to him, in the sympathy of that pure and elevated soul. Elevation of soul, generosity, humanity— Little by little it came to seem to him as if these existed nowhere else. The sentiment of maternity, above all, as it might be understood there, its claims, with the claims of all natural feeling everywhere, down to the sheep bleeding on the hills, nay, even to the mother wolf in her hungry cave, seemed to have been vindicated, to have been enforced anew, by the sanction of some divine pattern thereof. He saw its legitimate place in the world given at last to the bare capacity for suffering in any creature, however feeble or apparently useless. In this chivalry, seeming to leave the world's heroism a mere property of the stage, in this so scrupulous fidelity to what could not help itself, could scarcely claim not to be forgotten. What a contrast to the hard contempt of one's own or other's pain, of death, of glory even in those discourses of aurelius but if marius thought at times that some long-cherished desires were now about to blossom for him in the sort of home he had sometimes pictured to himself the very charm of which would lie in its contrast to any random affections that in this woman to whom children instinctively clung he might find such a sister at least as he had always longed for there were also circumstances which reminded him that a certain rule forbidding second marriages was among these people still in force. Ominous incidents, moreover, warning a susceptible conscience not to mix together the spirit and the flesh, nor make the matter of a heavenly banquet serve for earthly meat and drink. One day he found Cecilia occupied with the burial of one of the children of her household. It was from the tiny brow of such a child as he now heard that the new light had first shone forth upon them through the light of mere physical life, glowing there again when the child was dead, or supposed to be dead. The aged servant of Christ had arrived in the midst of their noisy grief, and, mounting to the little chamber where it lay, had returned not long afterwards with the child stirring in his arms as he descended the stair rapidly, bursting open the closely wound folds of the shroud and scattering the funeral flowers from them as the soul kindled once more through its limbs. Old Roman common sense had taught people to occupy their thoughts as little as might be with children who died young. Here today, however, in this curious house, all thoughts were tenderly bent on the little waxen figure, yet with a kind of exultation and joy notwithstanding the loud weeping of the mother. The other children, its late companions, broke with it suddenly into the place where the deep black bed lay open to receive it. Pushing away the grim fossors, the grave-diggers, they ranged themselves around it in order, and chanted the old psalm of theirs, Laudate puere dominum. Dead children, 
children's graves marius had been always half aware of an old superstitious fancy in his mind concerning them as if in coming near them he came near the failure of some lately-born hope or purpose of his own and now perusing intently the expression with which cecilia assisted directed returned afterwards to her house he felt that he too had had to-day his funeral of a little child but it had always been his policy through all his pursuit of experience to take flight in time from any too disturbing passion from any sort of affection likely to quicken his pulses beyond the point at which the quiet work of life was practicable had he after all been taken unawares so that it was no longer possible for him to fly at least during the journey he took by way of testing the existence of any chain about him he found a certain disappointment at his heart greater than he could have anticipated and as he passed over the crisp leaves nipped off in multitudes by the first sudden cold of winter he felt that the mental atmosphere within himself was perceptibly colder yet it was finally a quite successful resignation which he achieved on a review after his manner during that absence of loss or gain the image of cecilia it would seem was already become for him like some matter of poetry or of another man's story or a picture on the wall and on his return to rome there had been a rumour in that singular company of things which spoke certainly not of any merely tranquil loving hinted rather that he had come across a world the lightest contact with which might make appropriate to himself also the precept that they which have wives be as they that have none this was brought home to him when in early spring he ventured once more to listen to the sweet singing of the eucharist it breathed more than ever the spirit of a wonderful hope of hopes more daring than poor labouring humanity had ever seriously entertained before though it was plain that a great calamity was befallen amid stifled sobbing even as the pathetic words of the psalter relieved the tension of their hearts the people around him still wore upon their faces their habitual gleam of joy of placid satisfaction they were still under the influence of an immense gratitude in thinking even amid their present distress of the hour of a great deliverance as he followed again that mystical dialogue he felt also again like a mighty spirit about him the potency the half-realized presence of a great multitude as if thronging along those awful passages to hear the sentence of its release from prison a company which represented nothing less than orbis terrarum the whole company of mankind and the special note of the day expressed that relief a sound new to him drawn deep from some old hebrew source as he conjectured alleluia repeated over and over again alleluia alleluia at every pause and movement of the long easter ceremonies and then in its place by way of sacred lection although in shocking contrast with the peaceful dignity of all around came the epistle of the churches of lyon and vienne to their sister the church of rome for the peace of the church had been broken broken as marius could not but acknowledge on the responsibility of the emperor aurelius himself following tamely and as a matter of course the traces of his predecessors gratuitously enlisting against the good as well as the evil of that great pagan world the strange new heroism of which this singular message was full the greatness of it certainly lifted away all merely private regret inclining one at last actually to draw sword for the oppressed as if in some new order of knighthood the pains which our brethren have endured we have no power fully to tell for the enemy came upon us with his whole strength 
but the grace of God fought for us, set free the weak, and made ready those who, like pillars, were able to bear the weight. These, coming now into close strife with the four, bore every kind of pang and shame. At the time of the fair, which is held here with a great crowd, the governor led forth the martyrs as a show, holding what was thought great but little, and that the pains of to-day are not deserving to be measured against the glory that shall be made known, these worthy wrestlers went joyfully on their way, their delight and the sweet favour of God mingling in their faces, so that their bonds seemed but a goodly array, or like the golden bracelets of a bride. Filled with the fragrance of Christ, to some they seemed to have been touched with earthly perfumes. Batias Epigathus, though he was very young, because he would not endure to see unjust judgment given against us, vented his anger and sought to be heard for the brethren, for he was a youth of high place. Whereupon the governor asked him whether he also were a Christian. He confessed in a clear voice and was added to the number of the martyrs. But he had the paraclete within him, as in truth he showed by the fullness of his love, glorifying in the defence of his brethren, and to give his life for theirs. Then was fulfilled the saying of the Lord that the day should come when he that slayeth you will think that he doeth God service. Most madly did the mob, the governor, and the soldiers rage against the handmaiden Blandina, in whom Christ showed that what seems mean among men is of price with him. For whilst we all, and her earthly mistress, who was herself one of the contending martyrs, were fearful, lest through weakness of the flesh she should be unable to profess the faith, Blandina was filled with such power that her tormentors, following upon each other from morning until night, owned that they were overcome and had no more that they could do to her, admiring that she still breathed after her whole body was torn asunder. But this blessed one in the very midst of her witness renewed her strength, and to repeat, I am Christ's, was to her rest, refreshment, and relief from pain. As for Alexander, he neither uttered a groan nor any sound at all, but in his heart talked with God. Sanctus the deacon also, having borne beyond all measure pains devised by them, hoping that they would get something from him, did not so much as tell his name, but to all questions answered only, I am Christ's. For this he confessed, instead of his name, his race, and everything beside. Whence also a strife in torturing him arose between the governor and these tormentors, so that when they had nothing else they could do, they set red-hot plates of brass to the most tender parts of his body. But he stood firm in his profession, cooled and fortified by that stream of living water which flows from Christ. His corpse, a single wound, having wholly lost the form of man, was the measure of his pain. But Christ painting in him set forth an example to the rest, that there is nothing fearful, nothing painful where the love of the Father overcomes. And as all those cruelties were made null through the patience of the martyrs, they bethought them of other things, among which was their imprisonment in a dark and most sorrowful place where many were privily strangled. But destitute of man's aid they were filled with power from the Lord both in body and mind, and strengthened their brethren. Also much joy was in our virgin mother the church, for by means of these such as were fallen away retraced their steps, were again conceived, were filled again with lively heat, and hastened to make the profession of their faith. The holy bishop Pothinus, who was now past ninety years old and weak in body, yet in his heat of soul and longing for martyrdom, roused what strength he had, and was also cruelly dragged to judgment, and gave witness. Thereupon he suffered many stripes, all thinking it would be a wickedness if they fell short in cruelty towards him, for that thus their own gods would be avenged. 
Hardly drawing breath, he was thrown into prison, and after two days there died. After these things their martyrdom was parted into divers manners, plating as it were one crowd of many colours, and every sort of flowers they offered it to God. Maturus, therefore, Sanctus and Blandina were led to the wild beasts, and Maturus and Sanctus passed through all the pains of the amphitheatre, as if they had suffered nothing before, or rather as having in many trials overcome, and now contending for the prize itself, were at last dismissed. But Blandina was bound and hung upon a stake, and set forth as food for the assault of the wild beasts. And as she thus seemed to be hung upon the cross, by her fiery prayer she imparted much alacrity to those contending witnesses, for as they looked upon her with the eye of flesh through her, they saw him that was crucified. But as none of the beasts would then touch her, she was taken down from the cross and sent back to prison for another day, that though weak and mean, yet clothed with the mighty wrestler Christ Jesus, she might by many conquests give heart to her brethren. On the last day, therefore, of the shows, she was brought forth again together with Ponticus, a lad of about fifteen years old. They were brought in day by day to behold the pains of the rest. And when they wavered not, the mob was full of rage, pitying neither the youth of the lad nor the sex of the maiden. Hence they drave them through the whole round of pain. And Ponticus, taking heart from Blandina, having borne well the whole of those torments, gave up his life. Last of all the blessed Blandina herself, as a mother that had given life to her children, and sent them like conquerors to the great king, hastened to them with joy at the end as to a marriage feast. The enemy himself confessing that no woman had ever borne pain so manifold and great as hers. Nor even was their anger appeased, some among them seeking for us pains, if it might be, yet greater, that the saying might be fulfilled, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And their rage against the martyrs took a new form, insomuch that we were in great sorrow for lack of freedom to entrust their bodies to the earth. Neither did the night-time nor the offer of money avail us for this matter, but they set watch with much carefulness, as though it were a great gain to hinder their burial. Therefore, after the bodies had been displayed to view for many days, they were at last burned to ashes and cast into the river Rhone, which flows by this place, that not a vestige of them might be left upon the earth. For they said, Now shall we see whether they will rise again, or whether their God can save them out of their hands. End of chapter 26 Recording by Philip Gould.